Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. It has been a long, long time since I last recorded a podcast. Way too long. Uh, I'm very sorry about that. I've been involved uh, in uh, a couple of books, as you know, but over the coming months, uh, as I'm deciding what to do next, I'm going to try and... uh, record some interviews and and get some interesting conversations going again and the first of those interviews is with the gentleman sitting in front of me he is dr john wustencroft my great friend a fellow private investor john uh, welcome to the show we've got silver uh, that is trading at fifteen dollars fifty whoever thought we see fifteen dollars silver again Uh, we've got gold trading at what is gold today 1140 something like that 43 maybe it has been total carnage oh my goodness me what has happened to all those junior miners companies that we were so cynical about a year ago. Um, it seems uh, the cynicism was well placed, even uh, if we were still exposed to them. Um, w- what's going on, John, and, and what's coming next? Well, I have no idea what's coming next, because, we, as you say, we're in completely uncharted territory. It's all completely gone wrong. Um, technical analysis would just show that there's just no uh, no prospect of the end in sight. We're not forming any formations as far as I can tell. Everything's just dropping like a stone. What's gone wrong is, I think, basically one of fashion. I think that for too long, as the gold price rose, we thought of ways to justify the gold price in terms of the cost of production, the fact it's getting more difficult to mine, that grades are going down, uh, that you can't put a new mine in production for less than $2,000. And we thought of and all sorts... fiat money is collapsing. Fiat money is collapsing. Um, that, um, you know, the, money, the, mon- the money supply is increasing. There's too much debt. We can't trust governments. And, and basically, huge numbers of stories were generated to justify the gold price. And, and some of these stories, there's still some truth and validity in some of them. But basically, in retrospect now, sort of sitting amongst the carnage of what's happened, we can probably see that the gold price did get carried away, um, probably not, not by too much, probably only by 20 or 30 or 40% or something. And if, if you look over sort of history, look over historical uh, trends, for commodities to double and halve and double and halve, this sort of thing happens all the time. So I don't think this, this gold movement has been particularly unprecedented. Um, but where we are now is certainly amongst the carnage. And Let me ask you a question, OK? Do we need gold anymore? It's, it's a good question, and I'd say we... Who, who, do, do we need gold? Is who, is, who is the we? If, if, if enough people think that they need gold, then there will be a gold market, and the market will be supported, and people will buy and sell gold. Um, we don't need uh, shells anymore, or, 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 or pearls anymore, as a store of value. Uh, there are all sorts of stores of value that have gone by the wayside uh, that cultures in uh, around the world in times past has had and, and they've literally just gone so in that sense uh, to call that uh, call the end of gold is, is perhaps um, not uh, completely uh, a wild uh, wild statement to make but gold is that one thing that has persisted for maybe 2,000 years plus as a store of value. So it's a pretty bold uh, Yeah, thing I think to say. It's more than 2,000 years. Probably for... Yeah, whatever. Well, certainly since uh, sort of city sort of city states, agricultural yeah. revolution, maybe uh, as, as, as soon, uh, uh, maybe for as long as there's been surplus wealth to be stored, uh, which would have started around the time of the agricultural revolution. Yeah, gold has been used to store surplus wealth, 
and there's lots of surplus wealth in the world. We see that manifested through house prices in, in prime locations or through art or through wine or things like that. All these represent uh, people trying to use surplus wealth to store something, uh, store value, and, and, and gold has, has, play, has had a role to play for thousands of years. And so to call the end uh, to gold being a store of wealth, I think is too bold. I think gold is a store of wealth. Some central banks are still buying gold. We have to remember throughout this um, rather disastrous period of time, every single ounce of gold that's been sold has been bought by somebody. And uh, the, the, the uh, CPM, I saw an interview maybe made a few months ago now, because Jeff Christie of CPM was talking about, you know, it's not just China that's buying gold. There's actually huge amounts of gold being bought in Europe, being bought in Switzerland. Mm. So gold is being bought throughout the world. Yeah, they're buying it in Switzerland and sending it out to China. Uh, but the, 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 there's lots of lots of gold actually staying in Switzerland. Yeah. So there are people who are concerned with uh, long, very long-term wealth preservation, and gold has a role to play. If you're ultra-rich, you probably buy some fine art and yeah. uh, some prime property as well. Here's what I think. You know, gold could obviously rally. It's incredibly oversold, and it would be very natural for it to rally at some stage from oversold levels. But I think it is going to be a long time before we see another bull market, a proper bull market, where all the stories get going again. And the reason for that is, despite the thing that you hear about people having short memories, they don't. And I think it's going to take several years to get over this. What do you think about that idea? I think it probably will take several years, but let's not forget uh, in... I guess if the price starts rising, then people will start forgetting, won't they? That, that's, that's the point, is that the S&P reached a low of around 660, uh, and people have forgotten that uh, stocks can halve, maybe not if you own the GDXJ, which is down 80% plus, <laughs> but people largely have forgotten that stocks can halve. The amount of debt in the world uh, is higher now than it was at the time of the financial Does crisis. Does that affect the gold price? At the moment, it's not affecting the gold price because people's mindsets have changed. Uh, people know that uh, central banks are going to somehow come in and uh, protect the market in some sense. So maybe the complacency levels now are higher than they were in 2008. I remember having a conversation with some very astute investors after 2008, and I was advocating debt, saying debt is a great thing to have as long as it's invested productively. If you borrow money to build a factory, that is a fantastic thing to do if you can, if you can increase productivity. And this idea was poo-pooed by everybody because the mindset had changed and everybody had suddenly become very anti-debt, saying that debt causes huge amounts of despair and destruction and, 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 and problems. And, and they, you know, they were wrong. They were wrong if you're an economist. You know that's wrong. But the mindset changes. And now we've changed our mindsets again. There's massive amounts of debt around. Uh, companies have been issuing retail bonds direct to the public, offering about 6% and the public are quite happy to go out and buy junk debt, um, just assuming that it's all going to be repaid. So fashion has changed, and, and structurally, the world is in no better a no better state now than it was in 2008, I think. We've got terrible problems with the euro. We, we can see with the foreign exchange uh, movements over the recent days where the yen's gone from sort of 10 seven or something to 114 you know for the world's second biggest currency to move five or six percent in a matter of days obviously enormous things there's enormous enormous imbalances in the world but there's also an enormous amount of complacency and as long as everybody's complacent then things can just carry on because prices are set by people and if prices are set by complacent people they're not going to the prices of stocks or the prices of uh, 
real estate aren't actually going to change very much. But as, as we've seen with the yen, things can just change, in, and, and the euro, things can change very, very quickly in a matter of days when the mindset changes. Um, we were reading a newsletter, we were flicking through a newsletter uh, just before this interview began, and the newsletter writer, it's a newsletter called Atlas Pulse, very good newsletter worth signing up for. He, he, was, he was right about gold, he was bearish about gold. One of the things that he said in his most recent edition uh, was that gold fell in 1998, just before the Asian crisis. Uh, it did the same in 2008. It has, a, it has a good record of falling just before deflationary scares. Now, something is going on. The, the Forex markets are all over the shop. You know, oil falling below 80 bucks. Uh, copper's held up, but platinum, palladium, silver, gold, you know, there is something going on. Is this, is this just commodities or is it something else? I think it's, it's very hard to disentangle all the things that are going on because each, each individual change has an explanation. Oil is falling because the Saudis are trying to limit US production so they can retain some power in the market. Platinum is falling because Europe's a complete mess and uh, the, the need for catalytic converters is low. Gold is falling because equity markets are high and there's not much sign of inflation. So for every story out there that points towards some sort of deflationary shock or some sort of shock, um, there's an explanation for it. But as I, as I was saying a moment ago, um, if people are complacent and treat all these stories in isolation, then perhaps things will just carry on and these shocks will occur, these minor shocks will occur and nothing much will happen. But if in aggregate, the shocks are enough for people to genuinely start worrying about some sort of disinflationary event. Even though there's an individual story behind each move in, in platinum or gold or oil, then, then perhaps uh, we'll, we'll end up with a cascade. I remember in a previous interview saying, you know, I feel there's any number of incipient crises about to happen at any time. That's just the nature of the modern financial world. It's very unbalanced because of the way governments borrow money, because of uh, the, the way financial flows can move around the world, because of the herd mentality, because of ETFs. Everyone herds into ETFs, pushes the prices up, and then when they all leave the ETF, there's no buyers around. So there are any number of incipient crises about to happen. Little ones can happen on their own, but for sure it might be that in aggregate these actually push, push people over into some sort of financial event, so to speak. We don't seem to be there yet because the S&P's well bid seemingly. Uh, the FTSE's not far off its lows, uh, off, off, off its recent highs. So I don't feel a sense of panic out there, even though I've still got gold and, and platinum. I've here's, sold my palladium. Here's the thing. Um, you know, gold is supposed to be your hedge against governments, if you like. And I do think we're going through a period of huge political change. And particularly here in the UK... I mean, this is coming up in May. It's almost the most exciting election I can remember in my life, except possibly the Tony Blair election, 1997. Um, because, really, nobody knows quite how big a force UKIP are, quite what a disaster the Labour Party is, quite what a disaster the Lib Dems are, and, and, and the, then the Tories have their own uh, problems. I mean, it's really... And, and you kind of think that's an ideal situation for gold but I mean everyone is just so sick of politics as it as it's now as it but, now stands but that's not affecting what's going on in Britain isn't affecting the gold no, price not. Um, globally and the whole thing is is gold is just out of fashion is 
we can stand there and shout at everybody at speaker's corner and say you need to be buying gold and look like complete mad yeah. idiots and no one's going to listen to us because very simply the price of gold has fallen people take a very simple equation that gold is a store of value and it's protection against government ineptitude yeah. um, the world needs a store of value governments are inept but gold hasn't responded therefore that argument is wrong so I'm just not interested in gold and most people that's, I think that's as far as it goes. I've met people who've, in the past, have said, oh, I really should be buying some gold. How do you buy Britannia's? How do you buy Sovereign's? What about an ETF? And then I've met them recently, and they've said, oh, I'm really pleased I haven't bought any gold. Yeah. Because the price, they're not saying, you know, all, I, I completely see all those arguments are still there. I'm going to buy some gold now. I feel very lucky I've got the opportunity to buy gold at lower prices. It's just not a fashionable thing to do. So is there any point investing in resource stocks at the moment? Long term, quite possibly. Uh, short term, I think it's so so hard to call. I I remember when there were the is it two thousand and five bombings in London. Yeah. Uh, I was in a business meeting. Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Was it two thousand? No, yeah, two thousand five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in. A I was business thinking seven seven. So I, I, think I, was I was in a business meeting, and I think yeah. Blackwell World Mining fell dramatically on the day, and I couldn't buy any shares in them because everything went to telephone only, and I couldn't yeah. phone up in the middle of this meeting, and the shares fell to about two pounds fifty. And I thought, you know, that must be a good bargain because they were £3 at the start of the day. And in the, in the interim, Blackrock World Mining has gone up to about £8, £8.50 probably, and it's down around £3.30 today, not far off where it was in 2005. So in some sense, resource stocks do seem to be going back to pre-bubble levels. The problem is, as we were saying before we started the interview, is actually a lot of that is genuine, true capital destruction. One of the reasons why BlackRock World Mining is, is low now is they had to write off about 15% of NAV because they had an iron ore royalty deal with London Mining, who've basically gone into administration. They're basically sort of going bust, and they, they can't value that royalty deal on their on their net asset value. So even though resource stocks look as though look at though they're trading at depressed levels, a lot of that is actually just capital destruction. That capital is never going to come back. It's not as though there's a factory there waiting to go back into production when things get better. It's, it's companies have overbought assets and had to write them down, and that capital has just been destroyed. So I don't think the GDXJ, which is around 22 today, is going to get back to 170 or whatever its all-time high was three years ago, uh, because those assets aren't there anymore. Those assets yeah. have been written off. Um, but there are assets. I almost bought Rangol this morning. I wish I could be doing this interview to say I saw Rangol's new results and I thought, this is a company that's going to survive or whatever and I'll go in and buy some. I didn't because I had to catch the train. <laughs> and, and they're up about 6%. But there are definitely assets out there that will survive this crisis, that will be available to buy um, miners on the cheap. We mentioned, we were mentioning Anto earlier buying uh, Duluth Metals, the very distressed price. Uh, guys with long time frames or gals with long time frames and deep pockets are going to survive this and it's, it's trying to find those yeah. I don't think it's worth buying the sleeper stocks anymore for a while I put a couple of K uh, in a company like Duluth thinking well this has got a great asset sooner or later it's going to come true I think these sleeper stocks are going to get so distressed they're going to sort of sell out perhaps at yeah. a premium to the prevailing share price but possibly at a discount to any price you may have bought in at I think really you just need to buy the strong stocks that will survive this and buy on the cheap uh, distressed assets at very, at very good prices um, you know maybe buy 
I wish I could say buy Rungold at 38, but you can't yeah. anymore. If you could buy Rungold at 38 and sit in it for five or ten years, I'd almost be tempted to buy it on a leveraged position at those sorts of levels because it has no debt. It, I genuinely don't think it's going to go under. Okay. It's quite possible that quite a lot of other gold miners will. A much easier way to invest is to just find a bull market and go long. So where is the bull market? I don't think there are any bull markets at the moment. Tech? Uh, um, well, tech's done very well. Uh, biotech's done very well in the, in the last couple of years. Of course, um, we remember the early 2000s where junior gold miners rose 50% one year, 50% the next year, and even people going in after two 50% year returns knew would have still made one or 200% before it all came to an end. Um, so it's, it's very, But it's very, always very hard to go in at those levels. It's always very hard to go in when things have already doubled. Yeah. Um, and that might be true of biotech I remember I, today. Didn't, I didn't buy bitcoins at $2 because yes, they doubled yeah. from a dollar. <laughs> so, 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 but bitcoins perhaps a slightly different story. With yeah. biotech, the bubble, the bubble you're going to get in biotech can't, I don't think, can't be another doubling or tripling from, from the levels we are now in the next in the next few years. But what about all these new techs, new forms of money, new, you know, all these stuff that, um, I mean, do you even know that much about it? Am I, asking I, 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 I don't know much about it. I have an investment in a company called Tungsten, yeah. which is not a, a metal company. It just has, has the name of metal as its title. And that's one of a, that's a disruptive technology company that is basically an intermediary between uh, companies that invoice and companies that are invoiced. So they have all the large companies like, I don't know, Marks and Spencers and Nestle and people like that on their books and all the smaller companies that want to invoice them go through Tungsten and Tungsten then makes sure that the invoice is presented and gets paid and everything. And that disruptive technology... How is that? Who's that disrupting? It's disrupting uh, banks because a lot of smaller companies need factoring. And what Tungsten plan to do is get around a trillion of invoices throwing through their business on a yearly basis and if they can oh, factor 10% of that and completely bypass the factoring in the banks yeah. then they're going to have a very lucrative business and potentially half a billion to a billion in cash flow. Uh, you have to remember that when a bank factors, they have to look at the, the people invoicing, look at the people invoiced, do all sorts of work. With Tungsten, these people are on their books. They know who's invoicing, they know who's being invoices. They actually know when the button's pressed to say, yes, pay in 60 days, because that's all part of their service. Uh, but of course, large companies like to put pressure on the smaller companies. When the button is pressed, it's not pay now, it's pay in 60 days. So Tungsten can then say... Okay, we'll factor this for the next sixty days okay. at a few, you know half a percent or one percent or something. Well, so th there are disruptive tech yeah. industries out there. That's my only disruptive yeah. tech investment. My, uh, I specifically hope they disrupt HSBC, <laughs> who I have a, an axe to grind with at the moment. John, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Um, you never give out your website or anything like that because you don't have one. Uh, so how should we end this interview? Do you have anything you want to plug apart from my book? Uh, your book's fantastic. Thank you for the signed copy you gave me earlier. Um, I, haven't, I, I have nothing to plug at the moment. I think you know. I think longer term, there's always there's always things out there that are going to going to give you a return in the longer term. There's no bubbles at the moment where easy money is to be made, in my opinion. Um, and so, you know, if you think platinum, uh, beginning with an eleven, is good value, you know, I wouldn't disagree with that. Oil can be bought beginning with a seven. If gold is below a thousand these are possibly good opportunities where you're not going to make money in the short term maybe but in the long term over a period of three to five years 
there possibly be going to be reasonable investments, certainly from my perspective, better than buying the S&P above 2000. So that's sort of where I'm, what I'm thinking about at the moment. John Wollstonecroft, a real pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you very much. Thank you.